How are you, Shad? Any day not living under Cardassian rule is a good one. We were in the Resistance together. He saved my life during a raid on the Haru outpost. I still owe you for that one. No, you don't. She saved my life when we were ambushed at Vanneker. Yeah, because I owe you for pulling me out of that plasma storm in the Badlands. I'm sure it was all very rebellious. We wouldn't have even made it to the Badlands if you hadn't sprung me from that prison transport. You sprang me from one the week before. That one didn't count. We were both locked up. Come on! Transfer complete. Hello, and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the animated bridge... This is Tyler Orton, dying in a gas leak on the Riker-commanded USS Titan. Yeah, folks, that's a thing. (laughs) And we're here this week to talk about Second Contact with Lower Decks Season 3. We've done this for the previous two seasons of the show. We've kind of had a post-season wrap-up, if you will, to look back on the, you know, 10 episodes that, that we went through and what we thought of them and the overall journey of the season before we launch into the next one. And we've got Season 4 starting real soon. So, Tyler, how did your revisit of Lower Decks Season 3 go? Yeah, it was interesting, and I I should add that we will be talking about what we anticipate for Season 4. It's not just going to be a recap of the entire season that uh, I assume everyone's already watched at this point. So uh, hang on, and and we'll dive into uh, Season 4 in just a a few moments here, though. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, like I said, it was interesting in that like I think you and I walked away about a year ago saying like this is probably the most consistent season of Lower Decks. But I'll say this is probably actually my least favorite in that it didn't maybe have some of those like weird lows that we would get at the um, early parts of seasons one or two. It never quite reached any of those high highs for me that we did get in seasons one or two. It's just kind of uh, steady as she goes. And I have to say that the high point for me, complete fan service that worked wonders. It was the Deep Space Nine episode you know returning to that station having that music play getting to you know see you know cork and kira about i think like maybe three years after the dominion war had ended you know that was the sort of stuff that uh, worked wonders for me and i think that was actually a solid episode even if it was not dealing with um uh, even if it did not deal with the return of deep space nine but other than that i'm just um you know uh, like like i i felt like it was a very sort of well oiled machine at this point but it didn't quite hit those high highs that we got in the previous two seasons i'm kind of on the same page as you where as you said like a well-oiled machine but it never really felt super inspired this season outside of that ds9 kind of fan service which i too was just geeking out of over and re-watching that episode just the other night i was like you know this still clicks for me it's so great to see kira and quark back I just want to hang out on DS9 on Lower Decks for a whole other episode. Give me another one, you know, further down the road. But this season to me felt a little bit almost like a Voyager Season 3 or a Enterprise Season 2. And I know some people hold those seasons in maybe low regard. I don't. I see them as very, like, you know, enjoyable, middle-of-the-road seasons that I could easily rewatch in a heartbeat. But there's nothing about them that sort of like leaps to the forefront of my imagination where I go, oh man, I can't wait to go on that journey again. This season just, it felt in terms of like the stories, they would often fall back on kind of that thing that sort of annoys me with Lower Decks, which is just chaos. We've run into like a story issue. Let's just have chaos happen. And that's not as interesting as like well-written comedy resolving a situation or an emotional beat that really impacts. I think of the... um. Well, the DS9 episode where Mariner is going to the salon hangout, you know, with Jennifer and meeting Jennifer's friends. And it basically ends with her running around phasering everyone. And it's like, that is the kind of classic Lower Decks. We can't quite come up with like a really clever solution. So we're just going to have animated chaos take over. That, that, that moment legit annoyed me. I re- That might have been my least favorite moment of all Star Trek Lower Decks. Yeah, like there's a lot of moments kind of like 
that happen throughout the season that kind of fall into that kind of camp. Some of them are kind of funny. Like I like the hallucinogenic sequence when they are trying to beat Delta Shift for the for the you know superior living quarters. But like that is the kind of thing the show can do easily, and it often kind of gives into that temptation. I also just thought it was weird they would have, for example, um, you have the Minding the Minds Minds, where they're competing against, you know, another group of Starfleet members, and then ultimately they sit down and hang out and whatever. And then they did the same thing in the next episode, and it takes a different direction, but just having those two episodes back-to-back, -back, it's so weird to kind of replicate the same story beats. And that's kind of this season in a nutshell. It's fun to hang out with, but at the same time, it just doesn't feel like a season where I go, like, give me season four now. Well, it, those examples, those two episodes that you uh, mentioned, uh, episodes three and four, uh, Mining the Minds Minds, which my perhaps my favorite episode title in all of Star Trek, uh, as well as Room for Growth. But it almost had like kind of those full house endings. Yeah. It watch, you know, everybody has to hug at the end and realize that we're all valuable, blah, blah, blah. And it, it's one of those moments where I kind of wonder it's kind of the discovery issue. Like, I'm like, who is this show for? <laughs> in that, like, they're trying to be an edgy comedy here in Lower Decks. And, you know, just like uh, Discovery is like, yeah, we're violent and we have Klingon nudity and we drop F-bombs, yet everybody's crying all the time and <laughs> telling each other how much they love each other and they're a whole big family. And I'm like, what? Like, who is this You're for? You're my tether. And then you, my tether. <laughs> <laughs> Cake is eternal. Yeah. Um. And, you know, and then you come back to Lower Decks and remember, like, I think this is this is season two, though. But like, remember, we have to censor out Boimler's like butthole, oh, yeah. like um, like you're, like in the orgy sequence. And then but then you have the episodes where it's like a full house music swells. Everybody hugs at the end sort of thing. And, I'm, and it's just kind of cheesy and not in a like edgy sort of way. It's like legit kind of hammy. Like we need to make everybody feel good by the end. And that's why I'm like. I've been saying this from season one. I just wish the show had a little bit more like sharper teeth, you know, like I like moments like, um, you know, William Boimler faking his own death and then coming back and making fun of the fact that section 31 has, you know, black badges, despite trying to be like a, an underground agency that nobody's ever heard of. Mm. Um, I like that sort of stuff. You know, it, it it's actually taking a, a real swipe at Star Trek right there. I, I like that sort of stuff. And I think there's so much room to play. I even like the idea of, um, you know, uh, say the uh, Cerritos returning to the Onaran planet in which you had like the drug addicted folks from, you know, I think it was season one episode of the next generation and you know coming back and commenting on the fact that and picard's solution was cut off communication between those two planets between the drug users and the drug pushers and then he left yeah yeah he left i, I was like those are the kinds of moments where i like how that they're, they're really commenting on star trek beyond just like saying like remember that time or remember oh yeah uh, I, I i mentioned the word you know trip tucker sprinkles you know, just those kinds of references. Like, I, I like the idea of being a little bit more cutting towards uh, Star Trek and some of the messages that have been put out there in the past. The, those were kind of the highlights for me um, with uh, this season of Star Trek uh, Lower Decks. I liked in previous seasons, where, like, I, I believe it was last season, where they had the Landru revisit from Return of the Archons. And, like, a way to kind of introduce Star Trek mythology that people will recognize. And then, like, kid it. Whereas, like, this season, it felt like a lot of, as you said, like, a lot of just mention something by name. And that was something, like, the DS9 episode did not do. It was like, let's go back to the world of DS9. Let's acknowledge the growth that has happened. You know, Quarks is now a franchise, and you have the original Quarks on DS9, which is like a tourist trap. You had Kira uh, meeting up with Shax. We didn't get a lot of where Kira's at, but just knowing she's still on DS9 was interesting to know. And, like, that's the kind of stuff I like where it you know, pushes its mythology a little further, but it does it in, like, a fun way that is involving. Like, it's fine occasionally to have a character just totally offhandedly reference, I don't know, Okona or something like that, but it's more fun when you engage with it. It's kind of... It's almost the Star Wars problem that uh, that's going on right now. In, like... Uh, or, or <laughs> Doctor Strange 2. Remember, like... 
we walked out of Doctor Strange 2 and I, I told you that it felt as if I needed like a giant like binder oh, yeah. full of maps and charts to figure out like who was what from which universe and all these references to this person or that person. And, and thank goodness I'd been watching. I was still watching those Marvel shows at the time that had set up so much of this stuff. Um, I wonder how many folks are coming in as maybe more casual Star Trek fans where they know that somebody's making a reference to something and they know it's going over their head. Yeah. And I think about like maybe the last season of Mandalorian where you could tell there's so much stuff going on that had to do with, I don't know, all the animated shows that I've never watched before. And so maybe I could still follow kind of the plot beats that were going on. But I, I, I knew I was missing something. And um, Cam, have you watched the first two episodes of Ahsoka uh, that just premiered this uh, week as we are recording? I have not, no. I, I I feel burnt out on all these like Star Wars shows at this point. I, I, I watched the first episodes. I'll I'll pace myself at this point. But again, it feels as if I am living the dream of every fan of the animated Star Wars shows, but I have no idea what's going on in this dream. I'm well, not that I don't have any idea, but like there's a lot of stuff going over my head. And I'm missing out on something that I'd be getting just so much more. And so that's why those kinds of like references to like very obscure things in Star Trek universe as it is going on in Lower Decks, it, it doesn't like elicit a laugh out of me. Like I know it's supposed to make people smile, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you, look, you raised up a, a, a good point last year when we were talking about the uh, the season one premiere Grounded. And there was kind of the uh, news ticker at the bottom of the screen when they had the Federation News Network uh, doing kind of like beats on the trial of Carol Freeman. And it said like, um, you know, Sonny Clemens concert ends in a stampede or something like that. And like that's a little like throwaway line. You don't have to think about it. But you had pulled up and Googled the fact that uh, Sonny Clemens was the country music singer who appeared in the neutral zone in the <laughs> season one finale of yeah. TNG. That is a great joke. If you get it, you get it. If you just see a ticker go by, you don't have to think too much about it. But when you have like all these references sprinkled in and maybe you don't get it, or maybe you do get it, but you like, it, it's not an actual joke just by seeing some obscure name. You know, and and that's kind of like we've had 30 episodes of this and I wish they would. I don't know, like um, to me, it's it's really more the the more dry throwaway lines that work more for me versus the setup, setup, punchline sort of stuff that's going on here. I like it, especially when like Mariner goes on her kind of absurdities where she'll mispronounce words or just say kind of offhand, off the cuff things that are kind of strange. Like you'll get more of a chuckle out of me with that sort of stuff than when there's a kind of like build up and a character just says, I don't know, Dr. Phlox. And it just is like left hanging there as like, well, I should laugh because I know who Dr. Phlox is. And I really do wonder, you were just mentioning this, like how does this play to like someone that, is new to the franchise like maybe this is their first ever star trek show i think as you said like that ticker thing referencing the neutral zone that's gonna fly over their heads it's like a um you know like a background gag in a simpsons episode like if you don't get it who cares you're following the characters and the jokes that are happening up front are the sort of thing that are going to pull you in but if i were watching a show and they just literally like built up to just like dropping dr flocks pause and move on i would be like Okay. And it's not, yeah, it's not welcoming to a viewer. And if it was working for like absolute gangbusters on me, if I was dying of laughter, rolling on the floor with the Dr. Flock's name drop, I would be like, well, you know what? (laughs) I'm going to give this a pass because let me tell you, if you're a Star Trek fan, this is comic gold, but it's not like, it's just kind of a, huh? Huh? Cool. They mentioned Flock. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you a good example of, the kinds of jokes that actually work well on the show. Cause uh, you know, they go to, you know, the uh, what was the name of the, uh, the Montana town, uh, Bozeman, Mo- Montana, the site of first contact and Mariner walks by the bar and she's like, Hey, that's that one song jukebox bar. <laughs> and look, that's a joke that works because the idea of a bar with a one song jukebox, that's just inherently funny. Um, that joke also works if you're a hardcore Star Trek fan because you get the fact that um, Zephyrin Cochran kept playing that Ooby Dooby song throughout Star Trek First Contact, you know? So it, it's a joke that actually works on two different levels. Well, whether or not you're you're a hardcore Trekkie or whether you're not 
you're just more of a casual fan. Those are the kinds of jokes that really work much better for me. So I look, we, we've been picking apart the comedy. Like um, I, I'm sure a lot of people are like, why are you doing this? I love this show. It's hilarious. <laughs> please stop. Please stop. There's a lot of comedy that works to be fair. It's it, just that like the show I found this season more than maybe the previous two fell back on kind of their lazier uh, habits as opposed to really embracing the strengths of what they can do with the comedy. But like every series out there every star trek series has its flaws i think what we're pointing out is kind of one of the the, the flaws here of uh, lower decks and look, look if it was a show that wasn't so much going for like like um kind of beats mm. and it was more just kind of a, a casual hangout show i think like we wouldn't have to hold these like ridiculous standards you know for kind of the, the sitcom-esque throwaway lines or you know, set up, set up punchlines, you know, like, um, but it, it wants to be a sitcom. And I think that's why we're being a little bit more uh, critical of the comedy than I think we were the, the the first two seasons, at least. It feels like you were mentioning the blurring of Boimler last season. It felt like this season was maybe pulling back on the reins a little bit with kind of the more risque comedy they would do on this show. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I guess it's up to the individual viewer. I'm sure some people probably prefer that. I, I did get a laugh out of like the Dr. Tana and Shaxx uh, removing the safeties in their big could uh, big goodbye like holodeck program and how that kind of played out. But I, I am wondering, given kind of like how outrageous some of the moments in season two were, if this season felt a little more sedated in that regard. Yeah, you know, like uh, I I think that is a good point. It was. Um... Yeah, because I keep bringing up like I wish it had more of an edge, and then when it does have an edge, and you get like censored orgy scenes, I'm like, woo, that's too edgy for me. <laughs> You're so, fanning yourself. <laughs> my word, I have a fainting couch <laughs> right at my disposal. Yeah, um, I guess you know what. Here, here's the deal. Uh, this is what I want any television creator to do: make a show for you. Make the show that you want. You're never going to please every single person out there. So you might as well do something for you. Make it specific. And that's going to create a show that's much more interesting to watch. So I think we're getting the show that Mike McMahon ultimately wants to have out there uh, versus him trying to fine tune his comedic beats to what you and I find funny ourselves. Yeah. And I think one thing, you know, to turn it for the positive that this season did quite well was to introduce sort of a a bit of a like a mythology arc to the season without feeling like these episodes are just chunks. The way they introduced the Texas class conspiracy and paid that off in the finale, I thought was actually pretty well done, especially on the revisit. The way that they tied that into the origin story of Rutherford and then kind of carried that through the season, it never felt like they were hard underlining, like, pay attention, this is important. It just felt like a very natural way to carry that Texas class story from kind of the midpoint in the season to the end in a way that was satisfying, if not quite gangbusters at the end. I, I agree with you in that, like, they had planted the seeds for that conspiracy, and I think that was done in a satisfactory way. But the ultimate conclusion is... Yet again, there's the reveal of a bad admiral, mm -hmm. and we have the like extended action sequences. I'm just like, yeah, seen lots of that in you know Kurtzman era Star Trek, and ultimately, you know, we we see the season finale culminates with you know the the near destruction of the Cerritos, you know, for the third time in a row. Yeah, I'm like. Okay, you know, like, is this going to happen every single season? You know, that's kind of why I, you know, it felt like I was just kind of going through the beats again. I, I think the season one and the season two finales were, were much stronger than this one, despite the uh, the revelation that one uh, William Boimler has, in fact, joined Section 31. I thought that was actually, um, uh, well, actually, no, that wasn't in the season finale. That was uh, like two episodes before in, uh, what was it, like Crisis Point 2? Yeah, that's Crisis Point, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, huh. I don't know. But because uh, they were making fun of the whole cliffhangers. Like, no, no, sorry. I am getting it mixed up. It was uh, it, it, the reveal that uh, William Boimler had joined Section 31 was in um, the finale because the finale is like, yes, and we didn't leave on a cliffhanger. And then you had to watch through all the credits. And then that's when they revealed that uh, the double Boimler had in fact joined section 31 and i was just like okay well that's i'm okay with that kind of cliffhanger i'm curious about uh boeing's his 
double in section 31 that might be a little bit of fun but um i have i have a corrective it's actually badgie that you sit through the credits for in the finale i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i'm getting so mixed up yes uh crisis point two the whole point was yes we don't like cliffhangers no we don't no we don't and then they had the gap and then they left it off with uh that uh, particular cliffhanger that wasn't paid off by the end of the season i think that's what i had in my notes it's like i was like okay so they're going to leave that until next season rather than pay it off in this particular season. So it's one of those moments where it's like, uh, okay then. Yeah. Um, the Boimler stuff I was, I was fine with like the setup, like it's more interesting as a setup as to what it could be. Then ultimately, obviously it's not paid off in the season. And I do agree with you in terms of like where we kind of culminate the finale with like all the action scenes, the fleet coming in to save the day, like has happened on <laughs> just about every Trek season under the Kurtzman umbrella. That stuff wasn't particularly inspiring. I think I admire more just like the kind of the layering of the mythology over the season in a way that didn't feel super heavy handed and annoying. It just made it feel kind of like baked into the DNA of the show in the way that it, I mean, this was kind of the Rutherford season in a way. Like that's a character who's been a fun side character, but this season felt like it really delved into him in a lot more, a lot more. And the way they kind of tied that finale to his origins, I thought was satisfying, if not the big pew pew stuff. Well, I think he and Mariner were the only two that whose character arcs had a real beginning, middle and end to them. You know, of course, with Rutherford and him dealing with him, uh, his his past life as a jerk cadet <laughs> who was hotshot pilot, and it ultimately culminates with him coming to that realization, and then we have him kind of saving the day at the end with his knowledge of the code of the AI Texas class ships. Yet again, Star Trek delving into into AI, and I was like, okay, mm. I, I think we've done that before, and then we also had uh, Mariner with you know. I, I, I like the idea of Freeman saying, like, I can't be the one to decide your fate in Starfleet. I'm going to hand you over to Ransom. He's going to do it. And then ultimately, you know, Freeman kicks her off the ship because of the reporter, you know, um, you know, uh, revealing that uh, all, all these little adventures, you know, such as the security chief being turned into a puppet, for example. And they all assumed that it was uh, it was Mariner that spilled the beans when it wasn't. It was the rest of the crew. And so she jumps off the ship and then, you know, I, <laughs> I find out that uh, Admiral Picard, he has a lot of money from that vineyard if he's able to like <laughs> With his pay bad for wine. all these archaeological. <laughs> yeah, well, that to me, that was still the, the best, best part of season three of Picard is the fact that it was implied, never s- said explicitly, but it's heavily implied that um, the Picard vineyard <laughs> is pretty bad wine (laughs) i I thought that was amazing but apparently you know picard's really rich and he can afford to finance all these archaeological expeditions i can understand why raffi is so resentful by the time we meet with her at a trailer park in um season one of star (laughs) trek picard no kidding like picard is living in luxury he's got his romulan helpers he's cranking out bad wine Raffi is like suffering, you know, living in this trailer park while Picard is like funding apparently like archaeological daredevil missions. <laughs> how is he wait, how is he funding these if like money is not a thing? I is he selling bad wine to Quark or something? He must he be like him in Latinum? Like I guess it's a case where if he's making this wine, he's selling it to whoever, all these distributors. Uh, and yeah, maybe Ferengi's, I have no idea, but Picard wouldn't know what to do with money. So he's just like giving it to this archeology span thing. Well, it's, remember huh. it like, um, it was, I, I think it was, was it all in the cards or treachery faith in the great river, but essentially it was Jake explaining to Nog how, you know, humans in this century don't endeavor for the uh, acquisition of wealth. And then I think Nog is like. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense, huh? And like Jake could not really defend like whether or not it made sense. And then they were trying to get at the idea in season one of Picard. I don't think they quite landed it, uh, that there must be folks in the Federation that do acquire wealth. Because we do have that uh, that line from when uh, Cristobal Rios in which he's like, I need cash up front or something like that. Mm-hmm. So obviously people have money. Uh, we know that Riker won Latinum from playing Dabo at Quarks. How did he even put money in to get that uh, spin that Dabo wheel in the first place? You know, uh, Crusher has charged fabric 
uh, <laughs> to, to her credit line on the uh, uh, USS Enterprise during encounter at Farpoint. So th- there must be money somehow that, you know, Picard's been able to get a whole lot of and, and finance these, you know, archaeological expeditions. I mean, is Joseph Sisko running that restaurant just on a volunteer basis? Well, that's just it. If, if I'm living in the 24th century, like, I I would want to be doing some space faring sure. versus, like, waiting tables myself. So I wonder, like, how does that work with, like, finding... It's hard enough to find people to work in restaurants right now, um, you know, even with the wage hikes that we've been seeing. How are they doing it, like, asking people to work for free? Well... Yeah, and it's like, okay, so say Joseph Sisko, his passion is like cooking for people and yeah. serving. So, like, of course the restaurant seems like something he would want to pursue. But, like, I don't know, seven days a week, five days a week? You're telling me, like, there's not days where he's like, I really don't feel like running a restaurant today, especially considering I'm not getting paid anything. Yeah. Maybe those servers, maybe they're all, like, androids or holograms or something like that. That would make sense. Yeah, I could buy that. Okay. Well, we've solved the economy of the Federation right there. <laughs> no, why aren't they doing an episode of Lord X about that? Like, I think point out those yeah. absurdities. That would actually be really fun to talk about on the show. I agree. I agree. Um, speaking of characters, uh, we went on a bit of a tangent. Um, Tendi, we were like, uh, we were having a tough time with her arc last season. In like, recall like end of season two, she was joining the senior science officer training program, and yeah. They made one offhanded remark about that throughout season three. And then I think in crisis point two, that's when she said she wants to be a captain. And we're like, okay, that kind of came out of nowhere. It, it just Tindy or Tendi didn't really seem to have an arc in season three, other than randomly announcing she wants to be a captain. No, she feels like the most poorly serviced character. I think of the season of our main four. Um, there's like little moments where she kind of reveals anxieties about you know, doing the senior officer training, the bridge officer training. And I mean, that's interesting, but it doesn't really lead to much. And when I'm looking at overall, when I look at the season, I go, what's like kind of the big tendy story that I saw over these 10 episodes? It's probably the one where she encounters the other Orion and by the end is revealing kind of her backstory and that her parents were in the syndicate and she knows all these skills and has been kind of putting up this act that she isn't like other Orions. I thought like that was interesting from a character standpoint, and that has absolutely nothing to do with what the character's journey seemed to be as it was set up in the season. Yeah. Um, what about Peanut Hamper's arc, Cam? She certainly got much more of a character <laughs> arc than Tendi did. <laughs> um, I was, okay, I, I went into uh, that episode, episode seven, a mathematically perfect redemption, the return of Peanut Hamper with an open mind, I really did not like it upon first watch. Um, I stand by that. Like the, the problem for me is we're ultimately spending way too much time with a character I don't really like. Mm-hmm. Um, like a character that's like a, a sociopath, but not in the fun sort of, you know, Walter White, Tony Soprano kind of way. I'm not saying murder's fun, but those are very charismatic sorts of characters. I, I just did not find Peanut Hamper a charismatic sociopath myself. I just find like the the kind of like uh, really, really snarky lines quite amusing on the show and it show that often stops short of being really cutting. Um, but it's interesting that that episode is so polarizing and Mike McMahon seemed, from what I've read, like that was an episode he was really passionate about. <laughs> like he really thought like, this is like what I'm bringing to Trek, this peanut hamper sort of story. And I, I guess that's going to pay off probably next season, the way it is set up, you know, with the Jeffrey Combs computer and her having this alliance at the end of the episode. I, I, I do wonder if given the, I mean, this season had pretty positive reception, I think to nine out of the 10 episodes. And this was the one people were really, really split on. And I am curious what he takes away from that. Well, uh, he might take away something from that, but from what I understand, like I think they'd have to be uh, very far deep into the writing and even animation process of whether, you know, there is hopefully a follow-up to that. And I want a follow-up to this Mm because I kind of want this episode to be redeemed uh, very much how they they suggested a redemption for Peanut Hamper, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I, like, I, I hope he just kind of goes with his gut instinct and, and kind of pursues this, even if I wasn't a big fan of this episode. I like it when Star Trek 
take swings and, and they really miss, you know, like an episode like Masks uh, from TNG. <laughs> I do like that we did get a, a Masks reference uh, here in this season. Uh, think of, okay, look, another polarizing episode of um, Star Trek this past year was the musical episode from uh, Strange New World, Subspace Rhapsody. Yeah. Uh, you and I really like that episode. We know mm-hmm. people that really hated that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think if it's polarizing, that, that doesn't mean it's necessarily like um, bad. Although, I don't know, you and I did not like Elysian Kingdom, and a lot of folks really did like Elysian Kingdom from season one of Strange New World. So... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'd rather they take big swings than try to make, you know, just everything vanilla. Yeah, I think actually that Subspace Rhapsody has the same IMDb score as a Mathematically Perfect Redemption, which is a 6.9. And both of them are the lowest rated episodes of their seasons, which is interesting to me just because they are both episodes that take kind of a journey outside of the norm of what you would expect from the show. And uh, that's something that people aren't necessarily going to connect with. Meanwhile, I, I think a 6.9 is the uh, highest uh, grade on IMDb that any season, uh, episodes from season three and four of Discovery has uh, received uh, at this point. Oh, that's so grim. I think you're right, actually. Uh, maybe like the finale of season four did okay, but yeah, it was a very, very poorly uh, rated season. Uh, those two seasons were very poorly rated. Okay, Cam, uh, the, <laughs> the season four finale on IMDb of discovery uh-huh. has a 5.8 oh god um the highest rated episode of season four which was species 10c the uh, penultimate episode that has a 6.6 oh god um <laughs> what was the premiere season three uh the premiere was uh kobayashi maru yeah and that was a 5.9 you see i will defend that premiere i think that premiere actually set things up in a semi-interesting way I agree. I, I I'm with you there. Um, I I just wonder if you know people are looking back in retrospect and realizing it was a terrible season. And you know, um, I, I'll say this though: uh, if you go to season three, the highest rated episodes um, are all around seven point three. Um, you know, I would say I'm trying to. Yeah. So uh, that hope is you part one and die trying. You know, that's the uh, the Seed Vault episode that you and I hate. Of course. Uh, those are both 7.3s. Okay. And uh, the lowest one for that season. Um, well, this is kind of interesting. Uh, well, I can believe it. It's San- The Sanctuary, which is a 5.8. Um, and Sukal gets a 6.2. So Oof, that's too high. Too high for Sukal. <laughs> um it's notable to me, like when I look at um, Lower Decks uh, season three, that like the two highest are actually tied. It's the finale, the stars at night, and um, the DS9 episode here, I'll trust nothing. It makes sense to me why those two are so high. What is more surprising to me is actually the premiere Grounded, which is the big first contact, um, you know, Zephram Cochran stuff, which is so much fun. That one got a 7.7, whereas I would have, I think that's probably my Probably my second favorite episode of the season after the DS9 one. Yeah, you know, I, I wonder how much of that, though. That was the first time, like, we were with our friends in a group setting watching mm-hmm. that episode. I wonder how much that uh, kind of came into as kind of a factor about us enjoying it. Honestly, when I went back and rewatched it uh, just this past week, I, I still really liked it, though. Yeah, me too. And I think it sets up actually one of the really funny jokes of the season, which is that, like, Boimler is, like, irresistible to women. <laughs> Where you have the women on the vineyard um, fawning over him, and then that pays off later when he, uh, when uh, Mariner goes to the salon and meets Jennifer's friends, and they're asking about Boimler as well. Like I, I do think that is a funny concept given the nerdery of Boimler, and uh, I thought that like that was a real highlight of that episode. Brad, I've got grape juice all over me, and I need help getting naked. Use a hose, <laughs> Louise. <laughs> That was amazing. Um, speaking of group settings, Cam, um, I'm, I've gotten myself into something, um, I guess, September 8th, Star Trek Day. Uh, there, there's going to be a, a, a screening, a group screening at a um, rundown movie theater here in Vancouver. Um, and w- what exactly am I going to? You sent me the link to this. It's part of Star Trek Day. And essentially, you're doing a live screening of uh, at least one episode of Lower Decks. Apparently, it's four. Four episodes? 
I believe so. It is like a two-hour event. Well, if it's a two-hour event, I think because they said that there's going to be giveaways, free concessions. I, um, I wonder if it, it might encompass maybe two episodes, three episodes, and there's like other stuff that will be going on around. I don't know. Maybe. I, I'm wondering if it could even be two or three favorite episodes, you know, seasons one through three, and maybe the premiere or something like that, or, or, or like the newest episode of season four, perhaps? Yeah, but if it's two hours, I don't think it's like if it's a two hour event, I don't think that means it's going to be like, hey, you walk in, we're immediately going to push the play button and we're not going to say anything else. And then everybody gets up out of their seats. Right. I think there's going to be some sort of MC. There's going to they said that there's going to be giveaways and free concessions, uh, uh, surprises and more. So that tells Mm -hmm. me that there's like some sort of like like live component going on. And my guess is maybe we get like two episodes or something, maybe three episodes. Cam, maybe four, maybe four. We will. Well, I will find out. Uh, you'll be in Europe traveling. Um, I guess I'll I'll live text you at, uh, while it's like four in the morning for yeah. you. Yeah. Um, I don't know exactly what to expect, but they had me at the word free and giveaway. So, um, uh, yeah, I'll I'll pop in. I got my ticket for that. Um, it'll be uh something. It'll be different, and I'm looking forward to watching Lower Decks in a group setting. Uh, so. The season four premiere is on the Thursday, but the event is on a fr- on the following day, the Friday. So I'm not going to watch it on like streaming. I'm I'm just going to wait to go to the event itself and like, see what it's like in a group setting, where I most likely there's going to be people talking and laughing over some of the dialogue, and I'll I'll roll my eyes, but I'll I'll, I'll just roll with the punches and I'll rewatch the episode the episode before uh, you get back from Europe and uh, we review all of them together. I'm curious this is being pitched very much as a lower decks celebration and they are celebrating the anniversary of star trek in animation this year um they had talked about how they were putting together those like shorts done in the style of the original animated series and jonathan franks was going to be in one um and there was a, a couple others happening those have been really quiet and when they announced star trek day there was just no mention of those at all. I'm wondering if those might be part of the surprises as well. I, yeah, it, it could definitely be possible. But I, I mean, you said those have been quiet. Like, what more do they have to announce about them, though? Well, I thought with Star Trek Day, there those would have been maybe released on Star Trek Day. Like, I thought that might be more the plan. I could be totally off base. My, like, my thought was that they were coming out in the fall at some point. Mm, okay, that's what I my takeaway was. I mean, that, sure, yeah, that would, I mean, if they're going to space it out over the year, but it does mark, like, the uh, anniversary of the animated series launching, which was on Star Trek Day back in the 70s. Oh, wait, they launched it on, like, the same day as the Man Trap, uh, the animated series? Yes, that's right, yeah. Oh, wow, okay. I know, ooh, that's a little factoid that if they do a trivia contest uh, at this, uh, Lord Dex movie theater thing, uh, I'm going to uh, maybe, maybe lock that away in my brain. Well, here's maybe something for you to guess now and then pay off later down the road. But okay, okay. How, how full do you think this room will be? <laughs> I, okay, okay. Um, huh. Huh. Remember when you and I went to go see uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture at the uh, Park Theater um, in central Vancouver? Yeah. Was that an anniversary thing? Was it 50th? So... I don't think so, because that would have been like 2019. And I think you and I saw that maybe 2017, 2018. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, that that was not a very full theater, but I don't know how much marketing promotion was behind that particular event at a, another like rather small theater. Um, this event, I'll say, because c- it's so tough, because uh, I could totally picture it being uh a sold out theater. Mm-hmm. I could also picture it being maybe, okay, if I was a betting person, I'll say about uh, 55% full. Okay. There's the number 55% full. You're, gonna, you're obviously going to have to go and count people. Um, <laughs> what would your guess be, though? Well, part of the thinking for me is that this is free. So that, that right there is going to get it. I think a better chance of filling up than um, charging a ticket price for it. To me, it's just a question of like how much penetration is there for like 
Star Trek news within the city of Vancouver. People jumping at this and just awareness to go sign up for this thing. I think half full is actually a really good guess. Because I think like in a sad world, it's like five people there. I remember when I went to a early advanced screening, uh, it was uh, like a public screening, but critics were invited to Green Lantern back in 2011. And there was, I think, like six people there. I think this is going to be busier than that because I think like Star Trek Day is pushed a little harder. But I suspect the Vancouver turnout is going to be significantly less than like a major city like Chicago or New York or something. One thing I'm, I'm going to float by you, though, is that... Um... Star Trek Lower Decks is produced in Vancouver. Like the, all the mm-hmm. animation is done here, which tells me that there might be a lot of workers that yeah. say, hey, this is going on. Hey, friends and family, you might want to come out and uh, take a look at my work. Like that might be something yep, that that's true. could play a factor here. Yeah, actually. And that, you know, honestly, that may actually make our Lower Decks Day something that's maybe a little more special. Like you might actually have staff members involved in some of the surprises versus like some of the cities where it's just not a factor. Well, uh, I'll be reporting back to our listeners what my experience was like uh, in just a few weeks then. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that is a cool event. And jumping back into season three, we didn't really talk about Boimler. And one aspect of the season I thought was a clever idea was the bold Boimler theme I wish they'd done a little more with it, but I thought it was fun to kind of have this character adopting this kind of false confidence, having it pay off, and kind of that uh, George Costanza way of doing the opposite of everything he thinks he thinks he should be doing, uh, and then kind of like turning it into more of an emotional journey with um, the reveal of what happened to William Boimler. That sort of stuff doesn't really factor into the last couple episodes of the season, but I did like the bold Boimler shift. The only thing that annoyed me, though, is like the uh, alien who's like, yeah, I'm going to hunt people and literally like throw spears into them. And I was like, yeah, to me, it's just it, it's a, like, uh, OK, this obviously takes place in more of a hyper reality of Star Trek, but it's still, you know, part of continuity. That to me was just a little bit too much in that you would have an alien literally um, driving spears into people's like uh, shoulders. And um, I, I here's the thing. I can believe that there are choo-choo parties and orgies going on on starships, but um, sure. aliens hunting for sports is, is, you know, that's just a step too far for me. That is a bit much to buy to that just like that Captain Freeman would be so okay with this. Like, it would make more sense if like it was a very, very intense hunt, but the payoff was something funny versus like a spear through the, through like the, you know, the shoulder or whatever. Well, the payoff was that he took a selfie. That's true. Maybe that would be funny, just like literally like grabbing him and taking a selfie. Like maybe that's the funnier joke than like the spear. Well, he did do that. He speared Boimler and then he took a selfie. I'm saying remove the spear part. Like maybe it's funnier if it's just literally like a selfie. Oh, hunt. you oh, literally just like grabbed him and then that's all it was. Okay, I gotcha, I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, um... No, any other characters to touch on um, before we jump over to our uh, thoughts for season four? Yeah, the character of Talyn, who we saw set up in the episode um, okay. Three Ships in season well, why two. Don't we, um, why don't we just carry that on into our season four discussion? Because I think that's one of the things that uh, Talyn didn't really do anything then say hello. And I think what we are seeing is that they are setting Talyn up to be kind of a mainstay in season four. And what, it's sort of something that I think it, what is kind of suspected is that there will be kind of a new set of lower decks characters coming in. Mm. Well, maybe some of these other characters take more of a leadership role. And that's why you can keep kind of the show cycling, calling it lower decks without having, you know, say, Mariner and Boimler as ensigns for, you know, like a, a seven year run of this series. You know, like what if they're lieutenants in season four, season five, and Talyn is the cadet slash uh, ensign, and you've got, you know, other characters coming in and they need a little bit of that mentorship. That's something that at least I'm, I'm pushing for when we jump into season four of uh, Star Trek Lower Decks. Yeah. And that was the thing. Like, I really thought the Talyn story would be paid off. Uh, or not necessarily paid off, but just carried into season three. So it was kind of a surprise that she doesn't appear until the finale. 
And I think that's actually really smart. And if there's, that's one thing that season three kind of taught me was we need to shake up maybe the show a little bit and the addition of new energy, whether it's to Lynn or other characters coming in, I think it's probably kind of important because I think like when I was looking at season two or even chunks of season three, like say like a character like Shax, for example, like at this point, the comedy of Shax is pretty well worn for me. Like I get it. And same with like Ransom. And it's time to, I think, inject some new comedy energy and just having, say, a Talin character or anyone else they can bring in, having them now bounce off these known quantities, I think could do a lot in terms of just giving the show new energy. And it just feels like this season was lacking that. Like, Jennifer, I thought, was like kind of a fun addition to have Mariner having this girlfriend. But Jennifer didn't really do a lot in terms of intermingling with other characters, bringing a lot out of them. And it feels like also our main four, we've kind of now set up like or not set up but we've paid off like kind of the rutherford story we don't have a lot else to dive into in terms of the backstories of our main four so it's time to as you said like have them mentoring other characters and creating new dynamics like we know what the beats are so kind of let's expand beyond that and i i wonder how you know william boimler the section 31 agent will kind of play into that my guess though he probably only gets like one episode you know yeah I, like, I don't know if there's going to be an ongoing like William Boimler arc uh, in Section 31. If there was, I actually think it has potential to be a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, like, um, but again, it, it's kind of like that, that even though it's Boimler, it, it's a, a different Boimler energy that would be going on. Do you think we could potentially get a William Boimler episode the way we got the Peanut Hamper episode this season? Um, actually, I, I didn't even think about that. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, yes, I think we potentially could see that um i guess okay anything's possible what's the probability of that what would you say i think it would actually work really well to do i think it would actually be a smart call because i think peanut hamper that episode um maybe like part of the reason it didn't work for people maybe beyond the material but like was the fact you just didn't have your main characters there Whereas with William Boimler, you still have Jack Quaid's voice performance, so they maybe don't feel as cut adrift as they did with the Peanut Hamper one. So I think it would actually be a really smart idea to do, to give that character an episode, and then kind of build to something where you actually have him cross back over into a story with your main characters. I would say it's within the realm of probability that we could mm. do kind of a Boimler episode. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, sign me up for that. I think, like, that's the kind of thing that the show needs to maybe start doing now is experimenting a little more. I think one of the things they did that was smart in season one was the Crisis Point episode. We got a sequel to Crisis Point this season. I don't necessarily need Crisis Point 3 next season. Like, it's time to start introducing new kind of outside-the-box ideas that we can continue on with as the show continues onwards. Um, outside-the-box ideas, like, uh, I guess Mariner will be shadowing Ransom next season. At least that's what they set up in uh, the finale. Yeah, it seems like that. I mean, I did enjoy their dynamic in season three. Like when they're on the orbital platform together, I thought that was pretty fun. Uh, so there's something to that pairing that I feel like they just kind of like scratched the surface this season, but they could do a lot more with. Well, I, I would say that this season is probably the best use of those characters as kind of pairs at this mm. point because remember like wasn't there supposed to be like kind of this mutual attraction you know in season one and then i think they got rid of that idea pretty quickly out of the gate yeah yeah i think it was dropped yeah. right after season one yeah yeah and um i don't know look in um do they pursue you know tendy's interest in becoming a captain like or is that just going to be yet another dropped story thread for tendy like that that's my kind of concern about the character I'm not sure if they're going to pursue that next season. I was really wondering with the introduction of Talyn at the end of the finale, if that's going to be more Tendi stories being her paired up with Talyn through season four. Okay, uh, that would be a lot of fun. I, I, I think Talyn's going to be there. And yeah, as you say, they, they kind of set it up with Tendi probably being maybe her mentor in this situation. Uh Badgie's coming back, mm -hmm. back with a vengeance. Are we are we going to get a uh, uh, Badgie's own peanut hamper episode? Well, I'm wondering if we are going to have some sort of like, uh, you know, evil alliance of the Jeffrey Combs computer, uh, peanut hamper and Badgie. 
and that is going to possibly be the big problem of the season uh, for Lower Deck Season 4. Like, I'm not looking forward to a, like, big ship battle at the end of Season 4, but if they do kind of a battle royale with the uh, various AI characters, that could actually be pretty fun. Okay, okay. I My concern is, like, I, I want to battle the brains yeah. more so than, like, who can, like, go pew, pew, pew the most, you know, with whatever devices they're able to kind of commandeer or starships that they commandeer that like that's um i don't know like like star trek for me it's it's not so much the pew 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 it's like i i like it when the writers have to challenge themselves to make smart characters outsmart other smart characters Mm -hmm. no i agree and i think there is a way to have like some really fun like battle of the wits between our leads and this gang of rogue ai characters i mean you look at the history of star trek how many times did kirk talk a computer to death you know like that is a star trek classic like let's do a fun twist on that with uh you know peanut hamper and the evil computer and um you know i i think this could be and badgie i think this could be fun like i'm not really that into like just rage-filled homicidal badgie i would prefer to see like an evolution of that character because i kind of feel like i hit those beats in season one yeah all right, so Cam, over the last 12 months, we've had uh, four seasons of Star Trek wrap up. We've had, you know, Prodigy Season 1, Picard Season 3, Strange New World Season 2, as well as Lower Deck Season 3. Um, how would you rank all of those seasons? I would put my favorite is Strange New Worlds Season 2. I think I would then place Prodigy Season 1. Um, and now I'm kind of like between Picard and this season. I think I would put Picard at, at third and then this at fourth. And there's no bad season out of the group for me. Like there is not a discovery season four here. Um, I just think when I look at my overall enjoyment, I think like the problem with lower deck season three was it just didn't pop for me in a big way. Whereas even if Picard season three frustrated me, there was episodes or moments that jumped out way more. It's just that, you know, ultimately, I think Prodigy and Strange New Worlds speak a little more to what I enjoy in Star Trek. Well, I would like to congratulate you on providing the right answer, because those are my <laughs> rankings as well. So, uh, yeah, look, I, I also just appreciate you, you brought the moments from Picard Season 3 that popped for me. And I think mm-hmm. those moments maybe popped for me than some of the great moments of Season uh, 3, uh, or Season, yeah, 3 of uh, Lower Decks, you know, um like aside from the deep space nine visit like it was like it, it's a bit of a stretch for me to think of too many things that popped more for me than say the uh you know an episode like a worst case scenario or no i'm sorry no win situation the episode four season three of uh, star trek picard um honestly uh just getting an ending uh that was much less depressing than star trek nemesis mm-hmm. i was satisfied by that um it was cool seeing the enterprise d in action again um, I don't quite understand um, the Borg's plan. They're like, hey, just in case we fail at invading Earth, you know, 30 years ago, we're going to change your DNA so that if you have a child, that child will be drawn to the Borg queen. And that will mean that he infects people through transporter beams because we have an alliance with the uh, founders. And then we will have all the children or people under age 25 will turn into Borg drones. I'm like, uh okay <laughs> your head just explodes like scanners yeah yeah <laughs> you know um I th- you know also um raffi and Worf under uh, like investigating the underbelly of of the federation i was just like oh like i i just really think Worf was underutilized and the moments that he was on screen were great they just did not do enough with Worf. those are that was my kind of big disappointment yeah for me like picard season three was all about the moments it's the you know, the reconnection of Geordi and Data, or just frankly, a lot of Geordi moments. I just never dreamed like I'd walk out of Picard season three being like, oh man, that was some great Geordi storytelling. But ultimately, <laughs> yeah. that's the character that really worked for me the most. But like Worf had a lot of really memorable moments. So like, or when I look back on Picard season three, it is as a, I think it was a, su- a successful season of Star Trek television. It just didn't quite grab me the way it did so many of probably you listening and just Star Trek fans as a whole. You know, we were in Vegas and the response to Picard season three was really rapturous. So 
it clearly did what it set out to do in terms of, you know, kind of paying off a lot of that love that people have for Next Generation just didn't 100% click for me. Whereas like Strange New Worlds, just to me, its highs were so high that I really just frankly came out of that season singing like the characters in Subspace Rhapsody. Well, I'll, I'll say this. Um, if you look at these three or four shows that we've mentioned, the only one that's really highly serialized is, I guess, Picard. You know, I would say, okay, mm-hmm. in terms of serialization, I, I think you go Picard, Prodigy, yep. then Strange New Worlds, and then Lower Decks. And I think you, I, I think Prodigy showed that you can actually kind of find that perfect balance of telling an ongoing story while having these episodic adventures in which you're not lost and confused by mm-hmm. the story threads that are going on and the plot machinations that seem like quite convoluted, you know? Um, Oh, that like it wasn't okay. I was not nearly as lost in Picard season three as maybe I was in say uh, Discovery season two, for example. Or sure, so us trying to follow the threads going on in, in season one of Picard at times was a little challenging. You know, like like and two. What are the Romulans doing? <laughs> like, well, the problem is the season two is like nothing was going on. They were just walking around <laughs> L.A. for like eight episodes. Uh, Raffi and Seven were fighting with each other. Uh, when you're trying to piece together what Q's doing, that's when your head starts spinning. I still am very confused as to what um, Q with dementia was. Like, I, I've watched every episode, and I hate to say it, three times yeah. of that season. And, and and Q's whole plan, I'm just like, huh? Yes. Like, wait, what? You know? So there you go. I, I still don't know if I'll ever watch season two of Picard again at this point. I think I've done enough. I think I've gotten as much joy as I can squeeze out of this kind of, kind of schadenfreude, you know, in which we just tore that to shreds when we were uh, like talking about it week to week. Um, I don't think I'm going back. And I don't think I can do more than two episodes of uh, Discovery season four in anticipation of season five premiere. I, I'll do you know, the, uh, the season four finale and the penultimate episode. Uh, and that's about it. The most that I will ever commit to um, rewatching season three and four discovery would be if we decided further and further down the road that we want to do some sort of like series retrospective of Star Trek discovery. And I was truly forced to rewatch those seasons because a lot of them have faded from my memory, but we'll, uh, I'm willing to wait till that time comes. <laughs> Um, when, when, when we're in our seventies cam, that's when I'll throw that to you. Maybe we'll, <laughs> we'll be absolutely delighted by that show. It was ahead of its time. I think we're going to have to call that episode Star Trek discovery. What did it all mean? Um, uh, I know what it meant. Um, connection. Uh, we're a family. Yeah. Connection. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> and communication. <laughs> yeah. And crying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Connection, communication, and crying. The three C's of discovery. <laughs> no, but there's supposed to be 10 C's. <laughs> yep. Yeah, y- yes. <laughs> That's true. We'll come up with seven more C's for species 10C. Okay. Well, I look forward to that. Okay. So I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod and let us know your thoughts on Lower Decks season three and what you'd like to see in season four. Now, Tyler, what are we doing next week? Oh, very good question. Uh, you are taking a long overdue trip to Europe. Uh, that's going to be a ton of fun for you. I know I, you, like you're hitting up, uh, say, um, uh, I, I, uh, Paris, one of my favorite cities mm-hmm. on earth. Uh, you're heading to Germany as well. Yep. You are going to have a blast, sir. Um, I think we'll take, you know, um, we'll have content. Yes. Listeners, we will have content. We just won't be kicking off with, you know, week to week reviews of lower decks. Like maybe we were doing, um, last year, not to worry. We will come back when, uh, Cameron returns and we'll have some lower decks coverage and, um, yeah, don't worry. We are not going offline. Um, it's still going to be, uh, some subspace content, uh, just a little, uh, maybe what you're not expecting. That's right. There will be some cool stuff coming, but yes, just not the usual kind of of the moment Trek coverage. It's going to be interesting because there's going to be like, I, there will be news from Star Trek Day and um, it'll be old news, but it's it's going to be stuff that you and I will want to comment on. So maybe look forward to our November 4th coverage of the September 8th <laughs> Star Trek Day. 
<laughs> hey, just in time for my birthday one day before. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You can, of course, find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam. B is in Vendome Envy Smith. And you can find me at Reportin. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N. N is in Narisa's return to save Shacks once again. Okay. So until next time, the arena is closed. Connection, communication, and crying. The three C's of discovery. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>